noticed um, just so normally when Paul would write a letter to uh, to a church or to a region, he would introduce himself and then he jumps into a prayer of thanksgiving often, and then he starts diving into some theological things, and then he goes to practical. That's kind of his normal pattern. He breaks the pattern a little bit here in Ephesians where he introduces himself, dives so deep into theology that we could wade in those waters for for years, and then he moves to the prayer uh, of thanksgiving and praise. Uh, And so, as I'm sure you guys completely covered and solved all the theological questions out of the beginning in your Bible study groups this time, uh, this morning, uh, we, we dive into this. And as I was looking into the way that he did this, the way... He, he writes this as another long run-on sentence. So just like last week, the whole passage was one sentence. Uh, in this passage uh, that we read today, it's also another one long run-on sentence. And so Ephesians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, in the pew somewhere around you. It says a story on top of it. It's page 811 on that Bible. If you would stand with me as we read God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. You may be seated. God, as we look at your word this morning, as we sing songs and we pray and we ask you, Lord, much like Paul has prayed here, Lord, I am so grateful for this church. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Redemption Church. Thank you for the many years of what you've done at this church, whether it was called Hyde Park Baptist Church or Hibernia at Hyde Park or Redemption Church. It's always been your church. And Lord, you have used this church in mighty ways for over 60 years. God, we pray that we would continue to be a church that serves you faithfully, that seeks you, that seeks to honor your name. And as we dive into this prayer this morning, this passionate prayer of Paul's, that Lord, some of that would be contagious and would pass over to us. Lord, I love you and I need you. I am inadequate to to fully convey the depths and riches that are in this passage. Lord, speak amongst us, move amongst us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, 
I'm sure uh, you have, as I have, been watching uh, all the different updates of Hurricane Dorian. More than, for me at least, maybe you've seen otherwise, more than any other hurricane I've ever watched, man, we can't figure out what this thing is doing. Uh, I mean, it just seems like we, we've gone almost literally all over the map with the with the forecast and the predictions. I mean, at one point it's going to hit us directly. At one point it's going to hit Miami. At one point it's going to go around Miami, go up the Gulf and go somewhere else. At some point it was just going to be a tropical storm. Now it's a category five. Um, and, and so here, here's my thought on this is, while, while a hurricane is a devastating and scary, scary thing, here's what I, I, I think about when I see things like this. As advanced as our technology has gotten, I mean, it's amazing what we can do with technology these days. The, the things we have created and, and invented and, and, and advancements in medical technology and all these things. And, and I have no idea even how much money is spent every year on all these uh, resources to, to try to predict where a hurricane's coming. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Because um, even though it feels right now like we're being stalked by a turtle, as I've heard some people say at least we have a heads up, right? At least, at least we know, hey, something might happen. Because I just imagine like stepping outside and being like, oh, there's a thunderstorm coming. No, no, oh, it's a category five hurricane that's gonna devastate everything. And it's like, imagine not having that heads up. Imagine not knowing what that would be like. And so at least we've come to the point that we can like know that there's a storm in the ocean and it might head towards us or it might not, who knows? And so here's what I think, like, not only can our technology, as far as we've ever advanced, do nothing to stop a hurricane, we, we can't even fully, look, you can't, you can't, I don't know that we can build a house that can withstand a Category 5, but we can't even develop the technology to even know what this thing is doing, right? We, we're just making some really educated guesses, and we're not, like other people are, and maybe you've been like me, and we're like checking it every hour, like, like, that's going to be, like, it's going to be days before this thing gets here. So here, here's what I, I bring that up to think about this. When you see it, realize that's not even the, the power in God's pinky finger. I mean, that's not even the power in his, like, little toenail. I mean, and, and this is the God whom we get to have a intimate, loving, adopted relationship with. This is the God who in, in all his power and majesty decided to demonstrate his love to us and that while we were still sinners, I mean absolute enemies against him, screw ups to the nth degree, this is the God in all that power that said, but I love you and I will drop my wrath on myself, on my son to save you from my wrath. And he demonstrated that love and that while we were sinners, he loved us and died for us. This is the God who we talk about. And so it shouldn't surprise you when you read these run-on sentences from Paul that he, it's, like, it's like he's just so passionate he can't get all the words out. And not only is it run-on sentence, when you read it, like the descriptive words that he uses, it's like I think Paul's thinking, I don't even, I can't, I can't use words big enough and good enough and grand enough to really demonstrate to you. He says his, his immeasurable greatness, his glorious, the riches of his glorious inheritance. 
I mean, these are not calm phrases. I, I, Paul is just, I mean, he's in prison writing this. He's either writing it or he's reciting it to a scribe who's writing it. Part of me thinks he must be reciting it to a scribe because I like, I don't know how you could just calmly write that. Like, my, when I get excited, my body moves involuntarily. As, as I can't control that. And my body just starts to, like, if I'm just sitting there, like, my knees will just go. And, like, if I were writing this, if, if, if God ever blessed me to write that well, boy, I'd be, like, jumping up and down as I wrote. And I wouldn't be able to get a word down. I'd be freaking out, thinking, like, just look at this, how deep this is. And this is the God. In, in the last week's passage, 3 through 14, now, I'll be honest, I'll confess, I mean, I just dipped my toe in the water. I, there was no way I could really get into it all. And this week, we get into this idea of thanking God for the church, but also understanding what the church is. And so, look at verses 15 and 16. Paul prays, or he tells them about his prayers. He says, <clears throat> For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I love that this is his response. And so, listen, this is not Redemption Church is not the best church in the world. It may not even be the best church on the west side of Jacksonville. I have no idea. But here's what I know is, is, this, is this is a pretty great church. And not, not because we're great. This is a great church because God's been doing stuff here. Like for a long time. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Like that's good news, isn't it? And I don't know. Listen, I'm not asking you to thank God for, for when, I, when I say church, don't, you can take me out of the equation. Like praise God that you have a place that you can gather with other believers, dive into God's word, discuss. I believe there's a, there's a culture here where we get to be kind of open and honest about who we are. We don't have to pretend like we've, we've figured it all out, right? Like, it's one of the things I just determined, like, this, this just won't be that place, that openly broken idea. Let's, let, let's, all just, let's all just acknowledge the fact that every one of us are, are mess-ups, I mean, every one, look, there's not a single person in this sanctuary that's got it all held together. Not a single person. Every one of us come today in desperate need of the immeasurable greatness and glorious grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I, I tell you, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you, church. I really, really am. I am so thankful for all of you. I, I was watching the storm earlier this week, and as it was going to hit Jacksonville, and uh, supposedly this weekend, I just kept thinking, come on, man. Like, I want to I go worship with my people on Sunday morning. Please don't shut this down. And so maybe it's my fault that it's hitting the Bahamas right now, because I just started praying. And I just said, God, I, I, I don't want to miss a Sunday. I, I want... Listen, I want to be here with you. When I was on sabbatical working on my doctoral work, it killed me every Sunday to not be here with you, worshiping. You're, you're my family. And I'm so thankful for you. I would encourage you at some time this week, man, thank God 
for what he's done. Look at the persistence. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. There's that persistence. Listen, Bob Utley, Dr. Bob Utley, one of my favorite unknown theologians, says, intercessory prayer is a mystery of God's power linked to believers' volitional request. The, the, the idea that the God who this hurricane doesn't even touch the pinky of his power, we get to go and intercede and, and pray to him. Like we, we are able, listen, it's not a last resort. It's so crazy that we have at our access through the Holy Spirit the creator of the universe and we always try to figure it all out on our own and then when we run out of ideas then we go all that's left to do now is pray that was the first thing we should have done that's where we start right we don't start like you you've got the creator of the universe that you get what a mystery what a what a wild and amazing thing that you get to intercede with the creator of the universe Paul has a, a, a pattern of writing like this in the passage that uh, Wesley referenced earlier, Colossians 3.16, um, really parallels this section right here. Uh, and so I wanted to read it to you and then just talk to you about why we're doing service a little bit different today. And uh, I'd actually considered this. He talked about a conference we went to and I was studying this passage before we went to that conference and I just kept thinking, man, I just see this service playing out different than just three songs or four songs in a sermon and a response. I, I just see... We need, to, we need to interact a little bit with this. Um, and then we got to this conference, and it was about worship in replanting churches, and it just affirmed for me, man, let's give it a shot. Let's do this a little bit different today. Uh, and this passage really is a central passage I've been wrestling with for a few months now of what this could look like here. <clears throat> Colossians three fifteen through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, better together and be everybody say thankful and be thankful let the word this is the passage that that wesley read let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom i'm just going to add the word through there teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what everybody say thankfulness in your hearts to god And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Everybody say thanks. Thanks. To God the Father through him. So listen, we're going to switch it up a little bit today. And and in just a moment, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And and look, I would encourage you, man, if, if you're not sitting where you can hear people sing, then just go ahead and get uncomfortable. Go sit with somebody. Doesn't matter if they can sing good or not. But let's just let's let let's not sit alone. This this idea. This is this is not a alone thing. This is a together thing. And so go ahead and stand. Everybody, go ahead and stand. And if you're you're sitting alone, I, I, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but I'm also not trying to make you comfortable. I, I really encourage you to find somebody to sit with that you can sing with, and we want to hear each other's voices. And when we talk about things to be thankful for and the, and the power of God, this next song is called The Lion and the Lamb. And a couple of things that, that, that stand out in that, that song are, it says, 
and every knee will bow before him. Every knee. Listen, you, you will worship him now or you will worship him later, but it may be too late to make a difference to your eternity. Every knee, because he's just that great. His greatness is immeasurable, as Paul says. It says that, that the gospel sets the captives free. I don't, I don't know what you came in here with that you feel captive. Maybe you feel captive in your own life circumstances. Maybe you feel captive in habitual sin. Maybe you feel captive in your marriage. Or maybe you feel captive in that you're not married. Maybe you feel captive in, in, in your financial situation. I have no idea. But listen, the, the gospel sets captives free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? Amen. It also says that the blood of Jesus breaks the chains. We're going to move from this prayer of thankfulness in a moment to prayer for power. Listen, power is only found in the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So as we sing about the lion and the lamb, if you're somebody who doesn't normally sing out, then sing out. <clears throat> Listen, hear each other's voices as we do this together, as we teach and admonish each other through singing praise to God. Just the words that we sang, and don't just sing them. Listen, that, that musical time is not our only time of worship, and it is certainly not a time of entertainment. This, when we sing songs to God, about God, and when we gather together to do that, we're doing something that's holy and sacred, that, that fuels our souls and gives us access to the power of God. Listen, whatever chains you came in here with, the only power to break that is God's power. I, don't, I know some of your life details, some of you have confided in me and asked me to pray about certain things going on in your families or with your health or with your finances or your marriage. And listen, I want to tell you, so often we try to do that in our own power. And, and, and last week we talked about how God chooses us and it's maybe easier for us to acknowledge that in our salvation it's all God's power. But I think what you need to see is in every aspect of your life you should be dependent on God's power. That, that he's the one that has the power to do this. So if we look at verses 17 through 20, let's break that down a little bit. <clears throat> Paul's describing how he prays for his church, for this church in Ephesus or any church that reads it. I want you to know that I, I pray for our church often and I usually use passages like this in Paul's writing to guide what I pray for. It's a beautiful thing about praying scripture as you know, you're probably praying something right. <clears throat> Verse 17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, which is kind of an Old Testament reference to God, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. We see here, just like last week's passage, all three members of the Trinity. We see here that the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this Old Testament title for God, the focus on glory is this idea of weightiness or, or worthiness. The word for glory uh, really means like how much it weighs, how much it's worth. And, and so when it says that 
or to, to the praise of his glory or his glorious grace, the surpasses of his glory. Like there, there's literally, listen to me, there's literally nothing worth more than the presence of God in your life. Nothing. Being able to pay your bills, having a good marriage, having health, having all, nothing's worth as much as having the presence of God in your life, being loved by God, adopted by God, forgiven by God, redeemed by God, empowered by God, equipped by God. There's nothing more valuable. Nothing. Yet, so often in our lives, we give Him only what's left over. We give Him what's left over of our time, or what's left over of our money, or what's left over of our thoughts or our energies because we've got bills to pay and we got things to do and we got checklists to take care of and we got personal ambitions of things we want to accomplish. And listen, I'm not telling you not to work hard. I'm not telling you to neglect your family, but I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you'll pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, man, he'll help you take care of the rest of that stuff. You want to know how to be the best worker you could possibly be, the best father, the best husband, the best wife, the best mother, the best friend, the best neighbor. Man, just go after the presence and the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let him take care of those things. You, you won't end up, listen, if you truly fall in love with Jesus and that transforms you, you won't neglect your job. You won't neglect your family. You won't neglect all those things. You'll be far better at those things. I mean, in my own strength, I am not a good husband and I am not a good father. I fail all the time. But when I pursue God's righteousness in my life, I find myself with so much more patience and grace and wisdom, not of my own, but of God's, as he transforms me. That's where the power lies. And in that spirit of wisdom, the, the way that this is worded uh, in, in the Greek, it's nuanced to, to, to say, like, it, it, it actually means... The human spirit energized by the Holy Spirit. You get what I'm saying? So the human spirit of wisdom energized by the Holy Spirit. I, I always encourage, if you want wisdom, one of the best ways, one of the easiest practices to gain wisdom in your life is whatever day of the month it is, today's the first, read Proverbs chapter 1 today. Tomorrow is the second day of the month. Guess which chapter I'm going to recommend you read? Proverbs chapter 2. And then the next day, chapter 3. And the next day, chapter 4. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. If you don't make it to 31, it's okay. You'll get there in a month or two. One chapter of Proverbs a day. I've been doing that for years. And I'll tell you, if you've ever witnessed anything that resembled wisdom in my life, it's probably because of the book of Proverbs. It's practical, beautiful wisdom. And one of the things I love, it says in Proverbs, is if you want wisdom, get wisdom. In other words, it's there for the taking. And, and James, Jesus' half-brother, says, if, you lack, if anyone lacks wisdom, then ask God for it. And he's talking about in the midst of tribulation and trial, specifically in that context when James says it. But I think we can understand that at any point when we need wisdom in our life, we have access to the creator of the universe. He has written this so that we could read it and see who he is and we could gain wisdom from him. And so Paul, when he prays for this church, he prays that they would have a spirit of wisdom. Not a spirit of self-sufficiency. Not a spirit of self-reliance. Not a, 
spiritual gift of being able to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps, but a spirit of wisdom. Matter of fact, the very act of pursuing wisdom requires humility. The very act of pursuing wisdom requires admitting that you don't have enough wisdom and you need wisdom. To seek wisdom is to admit that you don't already possess it. So it requires the opposite of self-sufficiency and recognizing how much you need the Lord. But not just wisdom, but of, he says, and of the revelation in the knowledge of him. When I read that, I immediately thought about John chapter 1, verse 18, where it says that, in the Greek, it says that Jesus was the exegesis, ex, not exegesis, exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, exegesis, which we talked about Wednesday night in our How to Study the Bible. Exegesis is this term meaning how we like pull truth out of God's word. And so it says in John chapter 118 that Jesus was the exegesis of God himself, that, that God revealed himself in fullness through Jesus Christ by walking on this earth. This is one of the things that stands Christianity apart from all these other faith systems where we and other faith systems try to get to God, try to be good enough to gain something about God. But God now comes down to us rather than where other religious systems are about being better and doing better and, and doing more and, and, and being a better person. This is a story about what God has already done, not do, but done for us in dying on the cross to pay for our sins. Listen, you cannot relegate the gospel just to, as your ticket to heaven. The gospel is the center of every aspect of your life. The gospel ought to drive everything you do. It ought to drive when you go to work. It ought to drive when you're at home. It ought to drive when you're at school. It ought to drive how you react to your friends and, and everything that you, the gospel is more than just a stamp on your book and the passport that gets you into heaven. It's not a visa. It is the fuel that guides everything about those who follow Jesus. Jesus said, you must live out the gospel. Luke 9, 23, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. But he also said the thief is here to steal, kill, and destroy, but he is here to give life abundantly. So at the same time, he tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, which sounds an awful lot like suffering. In Romans chapter 8, where it talks about adopting and bringing us into his fold, and we call him Abba, Father, and we get this inheritance as joint heirs with him. It then says in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 17, that provided we suffer alongside of him. Yet at the same time, he says that he came to give us here life and life abundantly. How can both of those things coexist? How, how, does, that, how does that work that guaranteed... According to Jesus' own words and Paul's words, if you follow Jesus, suffering will, will be a result. It will. You can't follow Jesus and not suffer. The Bible doesn't give that option. But it also says that we'll have peace beyond understanding. Joy that the world can't grasp. And life will be abundant and full. I'll tell you why. Because the suffering part is our flesh. The suffering part is, is the parts of us being chiseled off that don't look like him. It's like a sculpture and you've got this huge rock and you start to knock off pieces. It was said by a great artist that the, the work of art already exists within the sculpture. My job is just to knock off everything that doesn't look like that. 
I mean, the Bible talks about our sanctification as being something that kind of rubs us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In Hebrews chapter 10, where it talks about that we would stir one another up to good works, the word stir there uh, means like to irritate, to annoy. We, we, would be, we would be in each other's lives so intrusively that it would be annoying, and that would stir us up to good works. So you can't try to follow Jesus and expect it not to stir you up. But what that's doing really is, is, is back to this passage, is thinking about it's chiseling off my self-reliance. It's chiseling off me trying to do it in my power. It's chiseling off me thinking I have what it takes to do it and recognizing that I, I have who it takes, not what it takes. I can lean on him. I can rely on him. Gospel knowledge is God-given and Jesus-focused. It's, it's about Jesus, and it's given to us from God. He says, then in verse 18, I love the way he words this, having, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I think about when it talks about the, having your hearts enlightened, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That idea. I, I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul writes, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we, pro, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only real hope we have for pushing back the darkness in our own lives and pushing dark, back the darkness in our families' lives and in, the, and in this community's lives. There, look, there is a plethora of problems to be solved just in the lives of the people who's sitting here right now. And just out of the ones I'm aware of, right? There's no telling what, what's going on in your life that I'm not aware of. But I'm not, I don't have to be aware of it. I'm telling you, if there's darkness in your life, the power to push it back is in the gospel. And the good news of Jesus Christ dying for your sins. Paul continues, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. I love how he uses these grand phrases, the immeasurable greatness. Paul's writing here indicates that he is overwhelmed by this immeasurable greatness of God's redemptive power. Paul desires that we have experiential knowledge of God's greatness. The, when it said knowledge earlier in, in verse 18, there, there's two kinds of knowledge uh, in, in the Bible. One is intellectual knowledge and one is relational knowledge. Um, and so it says we're to have wisdom and to have relational knowledge of God and his grace and his hope and his mercy. Knowing facts about the gospel will bring you no hope. Knowing facts about the Bible will bring you no hope. Knowing facts about God will bring you no hope. Knowing God and being known by God 
Have you ever considered the fact there's a song that talks about uh, being fully known and fully loved? I love that phrase because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm convinced if you fully knew me, like if you fully knew me, like you knew all the deep, dark thoughts in my mind, you knew all the sins I've ever committed, you knew my long rap sheet, if you, if you really fully knew me, you would not fully love me. I'm pretty convinced that's true. And I'm betting for many of you, if not all of you, that might be true as well. That the idea of being fully known is actually a very scary idea, isn't it? Like, this is why people are scared to go to, like, a counselor or a therapist. We're like, man, what are you going to uncover? There's some things I've locked down deep, and I really don't want to unlock them. I just want them to stay there. Like, I don't want to deal with that. So the idea of being fully known. But here's what you got to get. This is the amazing grace of God that you are fully, fully known. So I want you to think for a second, not too long, about that deep, dark thought or sin that you, man, if somebody found out, it'd be real scary. If I called you and I said, let me tell you what I found out about you this week, you'd be like, oh, man, oh, <laughs> I can never, I've got to change churches now. <laughs> God knows that. God knows that thought. He knows that act. He knows that sin. He knows that betrayal. And he loved you so much to die to pay for it. To forgive you. That's love. That's a measurable greatness. That's glorious grace. To be known like that and to be loved, that's grace. He says, towards us who believe. There is no limit to God's power, but there is an exclusivity to the recipients of his redemptive power. Only those who are washed by the blood are forgiven. This is not, this is not a universal fact. This is not universal for all people, that all people's sins are washed away. This is only for those who are adopted by him. These are only for those who have been washed by his blood. These are only for those who have been forgiven, who have been redeemed, who are part of his family, who are children of God. So if that's not you this morning, the good news is that it could be. You don't have to leave here the same person you arrived as. You don't have to leave here with the same story. And listen, I don't care what baggage you brought with you. You don't have to leave carrying it yourself. You can leave it at the feet of Jesus this morning. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sealed him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Amen. Boy, that verse, you, I, look, don't, don't lose the power of the resurrection. There's a danger with familiarity. Uh, Tim Keller writes in his book, Prayer, about a time when he went to a friend's house, and when he got to the friend's house, it was right next to a train track. And so he's hanging out with a friend in his house, and all of a sudden, the train, I'm talking like feet away, come and shakes the whole house. He has no idea what's happening. And Tim Keller's like, he's like just standing there like, what in the world? And he looks at his friend, he goes, what was that? And his friend goes, what was what? He goes, what do you mean, what was what? The whole house just shook. And he goes, oh, that's the train. 
And he goes, well, you, you act so nonchalantly about this. He goes, well, I've lived here for so long, you just get used to it. There's a danger to familiarity that you lose the power and impact. And so we talk about how Jesus has risen from the dead. It's why we gather on Sunday mornings. It's why we, there's more people at church on Easter Sunday than any other year, day of the year, right? This idea of the resurrection of Jesus, and we say that. Listen, it ought to shake you to your core every time you hear that. That is the most magnificent fact and moment in the history of the world. When God Almighty, through his son, defeated death, and when he defeated death, how much that meant for you. That there's, that without that, there's no hope. There, there's no future. There's nothing to look towards. But because of that moment, because God submitted himself to that and defeated death, he robbed the grave. You, you get to live a resurrected life if you're washed in his blood. There, there is victory in his name. That's a big deal. So here's what I want to do. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing. Go ahead and come up, guys. We're going to sing the song, Resurrecting. As they come up, I want you to think about, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul tells us about the power of the resurrection, reminds us of the importance of it, and says that if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then everything we do is in vain. But he did. Amen? But he did raise from the dead. And because he did raise from the dead, it changes everything for you and it changes everything for me. God seated him at, the Father seated Jesus at his right hand. The power is in Christ's preeminence. So we're going to stand, everybody, and we're going to sing that his name is victory, that God robbed the grave, that the power of the resurrection is where we find hope. Sing with me. Do you recognize that victory is only in the name of Jesus? Can you say with me, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. I, it, there's no other job for me other than to do everything I can to convey this to you. I resonate with Paul as he uses all these grandiose terms and all these huge phrases and all these things. Could I... I I'm often overwhelmed with the task to impart to you God's glorious grace through his word. There's nothing in life that will make you feel more inadequate than to, try to, than to try to stand before people and think, here, I'm going to display to you God's glory. There's no greater prayer I have for you, church, than that this truth would impact your life as more than intellectual knowledge. But I mean, in an intimate, real way, you would see the power of his name. Paul transitions in his prayer in verse 20 to the name, the power in the name. Verse 20, he says, So that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We talked about that at the end of the last point, but here's what I want you to see that's really incredible. If you skip ahead to chapter 2 in Ephesians, you'll see that what the Father does for the Son, the Son does for us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. It says, even when we were dead, everybody say dead. Yeah. So not struggling, not needing a little bit of help, 
Not like, I was going to make it okay, but just, you know, a little boost would be good. Dead. Even though, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised, listen to this, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The power for hope is in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus. And the Father sits him at the right hand. And then what does Jesus do? He sits us right there with him. Come sit with me. Listen, this is, this is not religion. This is not moral philosophy. This is not be a better person. This is the God of the universe saying, I love you, I forgive you, I died for you, I adopt you, you get my inheritance, come sit with me. There's no greater truth than the name of Jesus. It says in verse 21, Paul says, far above all rule and authority, which will come back in the spiritual warfare later in Ephesians, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So think about this. Above every name that is named. There's some that's easy for us to see that, right? He's, he, he's, he's better than Pharaoh. We saw that in the book of Exodus. He's better than the, than the Canaanites. We see that in the book of Joshua. He, he's better than Goliath, as we see David slay him through the power of God. But listen, he's also better than Einstein. He's smarter than Einstein. He's better than Picasso. He's more creative and and more just incredible. But also, those are things that are distant and far from us. But think about this. He's better than your marriage. He's better than your bank account. He's better than your inheritance. He's better than your... Listen, his name's better than your name, which we nod at that, right? When you hear that, you go, well, of course his name's better than my name. But whose name do you fight hardest to display well? Yours or Jesus's? Uh, I, I think about, when I think about how God imparts holiness and righteousness on us, right? We were talking about in our Bible study group, we're considered holy and blameless, but not just holy and blameless, holy and blameless before God. Not just, we're not holy and blameless, right? We're, we're, not, we're considered holy and blameless before God, but we're not we're washed and, and we're named holy and blameless. I think about it. So at one point I was trying to get a job as a professor. And so I asked one of my professors to write a letter of recommendation for me. The professor I knew liked me. So I figured it would probably be a decent letter of recommendation. He went like way over the top. Like I got this letter of recommendation from him. And he was describing skills to me that I do not possess. I'm not really great in the original biblical languages. I can poke around and find some things. I, le- I lean a lot on like tools that help me in the original languages. But like he wrote, I have never encountered a student with a better grasp of the biblical languages. And I thought, boy, who have your students been? This is, this is deplorable. This is horrible. We need to raise the bar a little bit. I, I never turned that letter of reference into anybody because I thought, I can't live up to this. Like, I'm going to give this to them. They're going to be like, will you teach our Hebrew class? No. <laughs> no, I won't. I'd be horrible at that. But he considered me to be great. I'm not great, but he considers that. Or maybe that's the way he just writes his recommendation letters. I don't know. 
But in the same way, it's like God, God the Father writes a letter of recommendation to us through Jesus Christ in the blood of Jesus. And the letter's written in Jesus' blood. And whenever we're considered worthy or not to go to heaven, it's not anything to do on our acts, on our goodness, on our ability. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. Listen, this name, it's better than your name. It's better than any name you run to. It's better than any name you try to find hope in. Any relationship you try to find hope in. Any situation you try to find hope in, it won't give it to you. Jesus told us in the Great Commission that all authority has been given to him. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, for the fullness of him who fills us in all. One of the things I, um, you know, we were at this NAM North American Mission Board conference last week on worship and replanting dying churches. And I want to tell you one of the things I really value about the North American Mission Board and their approach to all that right now is there are a lot of people out there that talk about revitalizing churches and it's a lot of church growth strategy. It's a lot of like be, be better as a church and do better guest services and do better systems and do have better processes and 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 like dress cool and, and do these things and like there's a lot of stuff out there as pastors like man you get as a as soon as people find out you're a pastor you get bombarded with emails and 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 stuff in the mail about how to be a better pastor and here's seven ways to fix this and three ways to double your attendance and 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 this, you're just bombarded with all this information and and it's all about being better and trying harder and 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 improving you so that people want to be better better marketing and 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 why i value so much what the north american mission board is doing because their their word constantly is that the power is in the resurrected christ that's where the power is and mark clifton who leads that team at north american mission board will often say listen pastor you may be going to a church this sunday that has eight people in it and you're the one singing and you shouldn't be and you think man there's no way i can ever grow this church Well, the good news is you can't. But you have the one thing that matters. You have the resurrected Christ. Listen, we don't have to make Christ more attractive. We don't have to try to add something to the gospel to make it more powerful and more attractive. You know who the head of this church is? It sure ain't Jimbo Stewart. It is Jesus Christ. If I get run over by a bus today, please, I hope not. But if I do, listen, you you have everything you need. You have the word of God. You have the resurrected Christ. This is the power to resurrect this church. This is the power to resurrect your life. This is the power to give you hope in all circumstances. The fact that Jesus loved us and died for us and rose from the dead shouldn't be something we just repeat because it's facts that we know. It should be a truth that shakes you to the core every time you consider it. It should be what drives you. Listen, it's the only thing that gives me hope. I know me. I don't even know if I fully know me, but I know me enough to know that there's no hope here. There's no hope in me. Put in my hands, I will screw it up. My own life, this church, my kids, my wife, all of it. And so I find myself in dependence on him, understanding he has authority, he has power, and the fullness of it is in his name. I think of the famous words of Bart Millard in the hymn. 
There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers, sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all life's ebb and flow. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trails fall across the way, trials fall across the way, though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. Feasting on the riches of his grace, resting neath the sheltering wing, always looking on his smiling face. That is why I shout and sing. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. All my life was wrecked by sin and strife. Discord filled my heart with pain. Jesus swept across these broken strings and stirred these chords again. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. Wesley and I started talking about this before we even went to this conference and we got to this conference and just affirmed things that we had already been talking about that, man, we want to be a worshiping church. We want to be a better together worshiping church. So I, I, can't, I can't make that happen. Only the power of Jesus can, but here's what you can do. You can rest in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what's going to happen. It's not going to be, as much as I would love for all of you to like scoot up and quit sitting so sparsed out, like I, and I'm just going to hammer that until the day I die or until I take 50% of the pews out of this place. It might look, it might happen. You force my hand, I'll do it. But much that's not going to solve it. You know what's going to solve it? The name of Jesus being sweet in your mouth. When, when, when the name of Jesus tastes sweet to you. Like, it's not a name you can just say. It's not something you say when you stub your toe. It's not something you say because you're supposed to say it at church. It's not, you don't say it because it's the Sunday school answer. But when it becomes the sweetest name you know. Not, not intellectually, like literally, like when you say it, there's, there's emotion. There's something that comes out of that. Like, there's an intimate, deep relationship. I, uh... Audrey and I started dating when we were real young, like brand new in college and straight out of our parents' houses and got married right out of college. And, and man, I've been in love with that girl for a long time. I, I don't do well when we're apart. She was just out of town for like a week and a half visiting family. And I mean, like it, it kills me every day. Like I hate going to bed and she's not there. I hate like, she's the first person I want to talk to every morning. She's the last person I want to talk to every night. And so when I hear her name, like my heart and my ears perk up. And you better not use her name in a negative way around me. There's something about her name that, that invokes affection and, and, and intimacy in my heart. My desire is that consistently, even more so, the name of Jesus would, would just leap out of my heart that the eyes of my heart will be awakened to how great his name is. That's my hope for you. And so we're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing Jesus Paid It All.
because essentially that's what matters. That's what makes his name sweet. Is that every debt you brought, everything you brought today, everything in your life that's been messed up, all the areas where you need hope, all the, the, the muck and mire of your own making, all the sin in your life, all the brokenness, all the shame, all the problems, Jesus paid for it. And he paid it all. all listen, all of it. Not just up to the point that you accept him, like all of it. You, you can't, you can't out how much Jesus' blood pays for. And so my prayer for us, church, let's just pray it. Bow with me. God, I, I echo the words of Paul in, in gratitude and thanks for this church. Lord, I, I pray with Paul that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It would give us intimate knowledge, relational knowledge of you. Lord, that we would fall so in love with you that your name would be the sweetest thing ever uttered out of our mouths. Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? But what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe in you according to the working of your great might? Lord, that you have worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Lord, that we acknowledge that you have put all things under your feet and you are the head over all things of the church. Lord, that we are your body, the fullness of him who fills us all in all. Lord, that we would we would be shaken and stirred by the fact that you've paid it all, that we are fully known and fully loved. And we'd come lay all that baggage at your feet. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.